welcome those listeners on d3football.com. Uh, we're going to be uh, posted as a podcast uh, extra, basically, uh, to uh, present this interview with Dr. Joyce Salmon, who was the chair of the NCAA Division Three selection committee for the sport of football this year for the second uh, consecutive year. She was unfortunately uh, going to be, you know, running onto an airplane right after our interview. So we did avoid some of the process-based issues or questions that we asked last year. So for those listening that may not know the process, why don't I quickly go over it. It's a 32-team field that is picked every year after the final regular season game is played. Uh, the chair goes to Indianapolis, Indiana, the home of the NCAA, and uh, the seven other members of the committee get on a conference call at that point in time. There are 23 teams automatically chosen through what's called Pool A, and those are the winners of their respective conferences. The committee has no determination of those. There's also three teams called Pool B teams, which are from conferences with less than seven member teams. Uh, there's some wrinkles to that. New conferences, for instance, may also fall into that, even with the uh, requisite number, and independent teams as well. Uh, so... That pool gets three teams selected, and they put them up on a board. They compare wins, losses, and schedule strength to pick those three teams. Then there's Pool C, which comprises six at-large teams. That means every team that didn't get picked in Pool A and Pool B is still going to have a chance for those six slots, usually going to teams with one loss or less. And at that point, that's where things get a little bit hairy, uh, so that's what we do focus on a lot when we talk to uh, somebody like Dr. Salman or Dr. Kaiser before her a couple of years ago. So without further ado, now that you know the process, let's go to that interview with Dr. Salman. Again, it runs about 20 minutes and very informative for anybody that does or doesn't even know the process. Here we go on In the Huddle. We are joined again uh, this season by a very special guest. We're honored to have her back. She is the uh, chair of the Division Three National Selection Committee for the NCAA Tournament. Dr. Joyce Salman, Athletic Director of Rowan University, uh, is joining us. Dr. Salman, first off, welcome back, and thank you uh, for being on In the Huddle with us. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I I appreciate your time. How much sleep did you guys get last night? Uh, we'll just ask that one right off the bat because obviously there were a lot of teams in the mix this year, and I know it's not an easy process to say the least. No, we well we got a few a uh, few hours sleep. Uh, I guess we probably got done. We started around uh, ten o'clock and probably ended around two 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 thirty. So uh, we had a few hours sleep before I had to be back to the national office. I still got a little bit more sleep than you guys uh, this year, so. <laughs> We'll uh, let you go uh, soon because I also understand you have a flight coming up. Uh, we're going to kind of avoid the process questions this year just to expedite it a little bit. But uh, this year there was a special wrinkle in it because you being the athletic director of Rowan, obviously there was a conflict issue because Rowan was very much in the mix. What were you able to participate in yourself and what were you kind of forced to step aside during? Well, once the um, pool, once the automatics were decided and the pool B, and then each region puts up, you know, their uh, their next um, the people that they think should are deserving of being looked into for pool C. And at that point, I had to uh, pull off the call and uh, take a long walk and just wait till I was summoned back. So um, 
that's basically, you know, the way it needs to be, you know, for the integrity of the, the selection, and I had no problem with that. Uh, we will ask you a couple questions based on your understanding of what happened, and I understand if you can't uh, answer because you just don't know, but we'll uh, encounter that here. I think, uh, for instance, in the first couple questions, we're going to look at the East Region uh, at the start uh, as we do cater to the Liberty League on our show and the East Region generally. And uh, the first question I really have about the substance of the choices, uh, throughout the regional ranking process, Rowan was ahead and sometimes separated from Cortland State and Montclair State even though the head-to-head existed between Rowan and Montclair, we understand that there was that triangle that existed as they beat each other in conference play. So from what you understand, since you weren't on uh, that part of the process per se, why was Montclair placed back above Rowan in spite of the rankings we got to see? Well, I think in the regional rankings, when all three schools had beat up on each other, um, they really had to rely, the committee really had to rely more on the numbers, which again was the charge of the committee more so this year than, than any other year. And um, so when at that point in the uh, in the rankings, at one point I believe Rowan had uh, a little better numbers than Montclair. And, again, depending on, you know, the schedule and who was playing, you know, what what type of team as the season went on. So that was, was justifiable, I think, by the numbers. But when it comes down to, you know, the final tiebreaker was obviously the uh, opponent's opponent's win percentage in, in, uh, in all divisions. And uh, once we got the scores in last night, and that came down with obviously, uh, as everyone knows, Cortland had the highest OOWP, Montclair had the the second, and then Rowan. And uh, so basically, Cortland got the automatic, and then Rowan and Montclair were up for at large bids. And I believe, you know, basically everything being pretty close, uh, when you have a head-to-head, I don't think there, you know, you have a uh, much of a choice than to go with the team that beat the other team. Just to jump in for one second on something you said, uh, you said that the numbers were basically looked at more because that was kind of the charge uh, to the committee more so this year. How did that all uh, come about? Because uh, I think a lot of listeners aren't aware of the NCAA's edicts uh, to you guys as a committee. Uh, each year they may change. How did it change this year? Well, I think, uh, oh, a year or so ago, it might have been two years ago, they tried, last year they had a pilot program with uh, other sports where, um, you know, the membership, and this is something voted on by the directors and presidents, the membership voted to have, um, you know, uh, the primary criteria and the numbers uh, out there for the schools to see each week, you know, once the official rankings took place. And then they included that this year, they included football in that process. Uh, you know, having the numbers out there. I'm not sure. Maybe I think soccer might have been out there last year as well as this year, so that people have access to see. Um, you know, once they saw the rankings, they also could see. You know, how the numbers played out as far as the one-loss percentages, OWP, OWP, and SOS and the primary criteria. And looking at, at the brackets when they came out a, a few hours ago now. One of the things that jumped out for the East Region fans, I, I think, was the the placement of Salisbury and Montclair State who could have been five seats each in their respective regional bracket. Salisbury uh, typically referred to as a South region team, Montclair being in the East. And in this case, they were they were swapped. We thought that perhaps it with rematches after week one that really weren't avoided per se, but what was sort of the committee's uh, thought process in, in kind of creating this, this swap, as it were? They're really not placed in regions by regions when we get to this point because, again, there's so many things to consider, and sometimes it and actually... You know, it's not a true seating if you have to move people around a little bit. And so when you're putting up, you know, you know who all your automatics are, and then you get your pool Bs and, and then your pool Cs, 
you start, you know, you've got the top four in there, and then we start filling in uh, the brackets. And you try to, you know, put some people might stay in the region, other people might move out. But um, a lot of it is just trying to avoid, if possible, people playing people in their own conference or p- avoiding people that they may have played before, as well as geographic, you know, playing in there as far as travel and things like that. And obviously, it's not it's not a perfect system, but I think um, in looking at the brackets, you know, the committee just felt that this was um, the way to go. It, it fits very well with trying to do travel arrangements and people who hadn't played each other or... Um, and many times the seed did hold where they were ranked in their region. It just may not show up here because, again, when you have to move people around and it's not um, necessarily a regional ranking uh, when we get to this point, then it does, um, you know, create some, some discussion. Yeah, and it does seem that there are some, some very interesting matchups that, that have been placed in, in uh, not only the, the, I guess, quote-unquote, East bracket, which is really the, the Mountain Union bracket, but, but elsewhere. So I, I think that the... The committee certainly is, is earning some kudos from from folks on on that job. There should be some really interesting first round games. And speaking of um, on more of the national scale, when it came to choosing the the number one seeds, how were the determinations made, and why were, were the defending national champion Wisconsin Whitewater re- relegated to a number two seed after going ten and zero, dominating their schedule, and ultimately placed in a bracket that's not of their own region? Well, I think, like I said, we, you know, once the committee determined who they felt were the top four, and um, where as they were, you know, going through one, two, three, and then got to to four, um, really is not an easy, um, you know, an, an easy decision or an easy uh, thing to do right off the bat. But I think when it came down to the four slot, and again, uh, the numbers being out there, and we can't, you know, we can't build on history, and there were other teams that were undefeated as well. And I think when um, they looked at a comparison between Ohio or North Central, I'm sorry, North Central and uh, and Whitewater, North Central had some stronger numbers. And I understand that, you know, Whitewater doesn't have maybe the opportunity to play some other schools, but uh, there wasn't anything to compare with in-region head-to-head or, or results against common opponents. And uh, so the numbers played in there, and North Central's numbers were a little stronger than Whitewater. And so that was the decision that the committee made to um, put North Central as a number one seat. You're uh, in the huddle with Dr. Joy Solomon, the uh, chairwoman of the NCAA Division Three Selection Committee for the tournament that begins next Saturday, and we uh, do appreciate her time here. Just want to kind of follow up on that question and answer uh, between uh, you and James, uh, Dr. Solomon. Was there any pressure by the NCAA or maybe pressure put on yourselves uh, this go-around of appeasing people who don't want to necessarily see another uh, Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowl and that both would have to possibly win one road game to return to Salem? No, ab- absolutely not. And I'm sure there are people that may, that may feel that way. But, you know, we had all the information in front of us. The committee felt very good about the decisions they made, although I'm sure there are people who don't agree with the decisions that are made, but it's not an easy job, and the the guys did, I think, a, a very good job. There's absolutely no pressure. I'm sure people say, oh, you know, we've got the same two teams coming back. Uh, as Pat said on his um, call today, you know, hey, at one point Rowan was, was the Whitewater. We were at the Stag Bowl for how many years? You know, and uh, it just so happens that, you know, we were down there and people were saying, you know, geez, can we have somebody else beside Rowan and Mount Union or Rowan and, you know, another school? So 
uh, it kind of goes in cycles, but, you know, Whitewater does have a strong program, obviously, and so does Mount Union, and uh, the chips will fall where they may. And uh, when you get to this point, you got to beat you got to beat everybody, uh, no matter what their record is or no matter where you're placed. The cream will rise to the top and absolutely has nothing to do with, you know, trying to, to shake things up or, or make anything, you know, try to create something different. I think there are some good matchups. Uh, I think it probably is a little different than what people are used, used to seeing. But again, our charge, not our, you know, our charge was that we needed to put the best field out there and, and the numbers were much, you know, much more exposed to people. And that's, you know, and that's what everybody wanted. The membership wanted things, you know, how do you justify if two teams are undefeated? What do you look at? Do I say, well, I think they're better or do we have some numbers? And again, it was very, very difficult. For us to make people understand, even at the higher level, is that at Division Three football, we do not have the same number of games as basketball, baseball, softball, where their numbers really are more significant because they have more more games to go by. If you know what I mean. So it's difficult. Sometimes the numbers, you know, maybe aren't aren't as true as they could be. But you know, that's what um, we need to do, and that's the way we're doing things right now, and and that's the way it worked out. And again, I think the committee felt very good last night when they were done. Let me ask you a question, uh, again, on more of a national uh, basis here, especially in Pool C. Uh, Wabash was a very highly respected two-loss team that technically, right. for purposes of primary criteria, uh, was a one-loss team that uh, beat a formerly undefeated DePaul by a mile yesterday and had a strength of schedule ahead of most Pool C teams. Why was Wabash viewed as a two-loss team when primary criteria would have likely allowed Wabash's selection without running into essentially quote, ties with other teams that would lead to the use of secondary criteria like overall record? Well, I, th- I think, wh- I, I believe in, in, in the discussion that the information that they filled me on, obviously Wabash was up on the board. So that, you know, needs to be to be understood they were up on the board. I think the, when it came down to it, um, it was them against somebody else, and I'm not sure, you know, where the, the, the final straw came in or the final uh, team that they were up against. I think it came down to the fact that they, um, you know, had lost against WashU, I believe, and Wittenberg, and it was someone else had a, a one loss, only had one loss, and I think it came down to the fact that they had two losses. But again, I was not in the room for the whole conversation, so I really, you know, it's a little difficult for me to, to fully, um, you know, ex- explain. I, I was out for that part with my school. I'm sure my school was right in the mix there. <laughs> Understood completely. Uh, Dr. Solomon, unlike last year when the, when the bracket were released, you just basically had the you know the teams matched up this year, for instance. So for Liberty League fans, St. Lawrence number eight going going to Alliance Ohio next weekend to face number one Mount Union. Was there any reason for the reinstitution of, of, of that practice? Um, I think you know I, I think probably there's more of a a miscommunication last year with you know understand before that people said well, we would give the rankings out, and I think we assumed uh, that when you look at a bracket and you see a number one. You know, you looked at the teams, you could pretty much tell um, what the what the seeding was as to who was playing who. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think basically uh, in talking, we said, you know what, uh, so we avoid people saying, well, if, if, you know, when you had the top, the people at the top of the brackets last year, the four teams, like, well, who would play who? You know, if, if the four teams advanced, who, who would host? I think we decided, you know what, it's much easier just to put the four teams out there and say these are the teams that, you know, that we think are, are deserving of being in that slot, and just go from there. Again, it's really because of moving people around and things of that nature. It's, it's not really, uh, you know, a, a true seating. 
but it's it's a seating that we think is a good seating and one that, you know, that we can live with. And, and it's, you know, you can just look at basically, you can just look at it and basically figure out what the seating's are. Again, Dr. Joy Solomon, the chairwoman of the Division Three Selection Committee for uh, next week's NCAA tournament, uh, is uh, joining us here on In the Huddle. And, uh, Dr. Salmon, you talked about how the numbers are more exposed now. James asked you about the seedings being exposed. Is the transparency issue something that uh, the NCAA really does want to get through more? I think so, and, and that's not, you know, it's coming from the membership. You know, I, well, you know, we say the NCAA, but you obviously, you know, we are the NCAA, but the membership, it's an issue that was brought up for legislation with the, M, with the membership a couple years ago, and I think that's part of it. Yes, I think that's, uh, they want, you know, more out there so people feel comfortable or, or, Uncomfortable, but at least they know. They, at least they know what's what's out there and and can see. And uh, I think that I think that's true. I think they do want more transparency. So now you've done this for a couple of years. Uh, at least as the uh, chair, chairwoman, I believe you were on it for a couple of years before that even. And so here's an ultimate question for you about the NCAA's interplay with what they tell you to do each year in the selection of teams. And basically, my question is, how can the NCAA help take the division, Division Three, out of its regional nature and place them more into the national system that the committee is asked to utilize. For instance, Mount Union, again, has been rotated to the technical East-centric bracket, yet Mount Union didn't play any East region teams this year, and the region's conference structures are very different, leading people to question why Mount Union should always be placed in that bracket if there are no undefeated teams in the East. So what can be done to remove that scrutiny and make this more national structure make more sense to the average fan or coach? We've had a couple coaches on the show, uh, for instance, that have said they don't agree with the structure placing Mount Union at the top of the East, and you've defended it before, so we're not asking necessarily to just defend that. But at the same time, we want you to kind of say, what can the NCAA do to make this more palatable in general, do you think? Well, I, you know, it's... And it's tough. I can't, you know, I can't say that I wouldn't agree with some of the coaches. Uh, having been, you know, in in uh, when I wasn't on the committee and my team was heavily involved, um, you know, I had a little more uh, freedom of voice there with with some of my thoughts. But I think the, the thing that's very difficult for people to understand is that the championship really isn't based on being a true national championship because of the philosophy of Division Three. You know, when you have 23 automatic bids, the next year it'll be 24, and now you're cutting down the pool fees now to five. And so, you know, the Division Three philosophy is, is access and um, opportunities, equal opportunities for people to have an opportunity to participate in a championship. So I think right now, the way the, because of the philosophy and the way things are set up, this is the way that it, it's going to be. It's, you know, it, it, it's difficult for people to understand because, you know, Everybody, we're competitive. It doesn't matter whether you're Division One, Two, or Three. These kids in, in Division Three are as competitive, in some cases, probably more than some than, than athletes in Division One. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to fight for a national championship, and everyone wants that opportunity. And some people feel it's you know it's not it's not for everybody. You know, everybody doesn't belong in it unless you have the record or you, you, you've proven yourself. And but again, this is a Division Three philosophy, and so this is how it's set up, and all the championships are set up that way. Do you feel that uh, football should get some special set of uh, rules, though? Because you've, you pointed out the last couple of years that the same set of criteria are used for basketball, soccer, et cetera, that have sample sizes far exceeding the 9 to 10 games that most of these teams have played. It, doesn't it sometimes make it feel like you're trying to compare apples with oranges and just looking at Ab these numbers? Absolutely. Uh, 
you know, there's got to be, you know, in my personal opinion, there, there, you know, yes, there, there should need to be more subjectivity because you don't have ten games, nine games. Um, don't give a true, uh, you know, like I said earlier, don't give the true numbers like you do when you're playing 25 basketball games or 40, 40 baseball games. And, um, you know, football is a, is a different beast. And perhaps they should look. But then again, whether people will take them out of the mix and make some adjustments, I think that's got to come from coaches talking with their athletic directors who make the decisions and who vote these vote the, the legislation in. People always think I disagree with the uh, committee and everything else, but I, I, I'm a big supporter of what you just said, uh, absolutely. So uh, you kind of bang my own drum on that one, uh, and uh, I'll bang your drum uh, in return <laughs> on that uh, issue because I, I, I really think that it is a different can of uh, worms that we're dealing with when it comes to football. I know James has one final question for you. Dr. Solomon, again, thanks again for joining us on in the huddle for the second uh, second year in a row. and. And hopefully we'll we'll have you on again next year. Although I'm not sure what your your status is as chair. My two year term is up. I have one more year on the committee, but there'll be somebody else taking over as chair. Okay, so for that new person taking over as chair, what advice would you would you have for them uh, as, as they take over that that role? Maybe a thankless one in, in some respects. Although I think <laughs> this year the the committee is getting a lot of credit for putting together a, a solid field. Any advice that you would have for them? Any improvements to the process that you've seen now that you've been on the committee for several years? Well, I, I think, you know, I think the, the, the men on the committee, uh, you know, really work together well, and the chair just has to, you know, hang in there and, and really be a, a sounding board and be the person that can, um, you know, try to guide and direct the committee. But, again, it is a committee, and everybody has has an equal say. It, it's not a, it's not a, an easy job, and um, but if you have a passion for what you do, and one of the things that I found with these men, they have a passion for football. And although I'm a female, I have a passion for football, and uh, we want the best with it for, for Division Three football. That's the, it's a premier championship. And so we want to do whatever we can as a committee to make sure that we have a good product out there on the field for the next three or four weeks leading up to the national championship. So uh, whoever takes over, I know, will we'll, uh, we'll do a great job. And each year, as things improve, and maybe different decisions are made, uh, I think you know things can only get better for, for D3 football. Dr. Joy Solomon, prepare to take your shoes off, take all metal out of your pockets, and <laughs> get through security as uh, we know you have to go right now. But we really do appreciate your time. And uh, as I uh, said to you earlier, I will see you in about five weeks at the Stag Bowl and maybe even before that because I do know you're very involved in the process up to that point at uh, each site. So uh, congratulations on what looks to be a very strong field and a great job done. And get some sleep tonight. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Again, Dr. Joyce Solomon uh, was on the line with us in the huddle, and we will be right back with more here on In the Huddle at InTheHuddle.com with two L's or blogtalkradio.com slash ITH.